for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. So I played a lot of basketball when I was growing up, and one of the crucial things, when you begin to play basketball, it's not always... um, in, in where you play or how hard you play, sometimes it's as critical as knowing who to pick on your team. Like, and in, in when you don't know everyone during the warm-up time, as people are shooting and, and taking um, practice shots, I, I would never really, like, play hard because I'm always just trying to watch what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to see, you know, if someone that looks like they can play can actually play. And I remember this one time we were playing in the gym at church, and um, everybody was kind of winding down the warm-ups. We're getting ready to pick teams. This is a critical part. And begin to look around and kind of survey just in case I end up being a captain. I got to know who's going to be the first couple of picks. Well, as we're, you know, kind of all lining up, in walks this guy that we had never seen before. And there was something different about him. When he walked in the place, now, mind you, I grew up in the 90s with the Chicago Bulls killing the NBA for almost an entire decade. You can argue with me all day long, but Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. There is no contest. There is no debate. You can have it with yourself because you will never win that argument with me. He is the greatest, number 23, for the Chicago Bulls. He walks in. I say all that because when he came in, we were all immediately jealous. He had on the Bulls' warm-ups, the white, the black with the red trim, And not just part, but like the jacket and the pants. He looks so cool. So when he came in, you know, he just kind of comes in and he starts taking the warm-ups off. Underneath the warm-ups, he has a Bulls jersey. And not the $20 one that you can get anywhere. Like the authentic one that had real stitching. I'm just looking. And then he takes the bottoms off and he's got the shorts on too. And then he's got J's on. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has got to be a hooper. Look at all, look at the investment that he's put in to what he's got on today. And that day I learned something very important that has stuck with me my entire life. That just because you have the gear does not mean that you have the game. He wasn't on my team and I was glad that he was not. In, in the day that we live in now, pretending is an easy temptation to fall into. It's so easy for us to put out one face when we really live a certain way. Now, there are moments that you will give advice and receive advice like, hey, you just got to fake it till you make it. Somebody will tell you at work, like, if you want to be the manager, you got to dress like the manager and act like the manager and think like the manager. And that works for a little bit of time, but you cannot sustain life faking it until you make it. And it's so hard because we see social media, we have instant access to everyone, everywhere. And we get to see put together lives 24-7. No matter what stage of life you're in, you can find someone on social media that you could look at them and be like, man, like they got it all together. Here's, here's some time where, where I miss it when I struggle. Like, I'll see pictures of families, and the kids always have matching outfits on. Their hair is always combed. Like, they have both socks. Like, one's not long and short. Like, there's not a navy blue one and a black one together. They're both the same color. And they show pictures of their houses, and I'm just like, how do you keep your house that clean? I got two kids. 
And it doesn't stay that way. And I get a little bit jealous because they seem to be put together all the time. And you see it. If you're in a relationship, you see all these hashtag relationship goals. And, you know, you see the pictures and the perfect boyfriend, the perfect fiance, the perfect this. They do all these things. Oh, ladies, you are just so jealous because my man, he does this. And, oh, this is my girl. And that, like we hear all this stuff. And it makes us feel like at times that maybe we're the only one in the room that doesn't have it all together. That maybe we're the only ones that have some flaws. And so sometimes the temptation is there to post our own pictures that are edited, that are cropped, that have the right filter. We take 10 pictures to post one because we have to get it just right. I didn't like the way I only showed like part of my teeth. I got to get, okay, how do I, oh, I got, oh, you took a picture right then. Every week they send me like the worst picture of the day with me making crazy faces. But we feel pressure to keep up with everyone else, to put on the same um, picture that everybody else has. And social media makes it so easy because I can control what everyone else sees. I can control the lens that they view my life. And if they only want, if I only want them to see the best versions of me, then guess what they see? Only the best pictures, only the best meals, only the best dates, only the best moments of my life. That's what they see. And now some of you are like, Pastor, social media isn't that big of a pressure for me. But some of us struggle with our family and friends. Some of us have, have felt pressure by, by those closest to us to always have it together. You may not even realize it, but you hear conversations, you hear statements like, you know what, if, if you weren't here, I don't know what I would do. If you didn't have it all together, if you can't figure this out for me, man, I, I don't have anyone else to turn to. I don't know what my life would be like if you weren't doing all of these things for me. You know what? I'm so glad I can count on you. When everyone else is struggling, I can always count on you to be solid, to be my rock. And suddenly we begin to find ourselves hiding the flaws that are inside us. We hide the moments where we feel weak, where we don't have enough energy. We hide our imperfections because there are so many people around us that expect us to be perfect and to be strong. And in all this pretended perfection, we lose some of the best things about God, about who he made us to be and about our relationship with him. We can overlook our flaws we tend to look past them and ignore them and lose sight that there is someone that loved our flaws so much that he gave his life for them. He loves us so much that he's willing to take all of the things that we would love to hide. He's willing to reshape and reform those and make them a part of an incredible story. He's willing to take the ups, the downs, the good and the bad and make it all show up in a way that we never expected. But when I'm struggling to be perfect and I look at other people with envy, it makes me miss God's goodness in my own life. It makes me forget that he created me with a plan. That there's a life that he has in store for me and that life isn't supposed to be like someone else's because it's just for me. And one of the greatest things I can do to God is to give him the authentic version of who I am. There's only one of me. So why would I try to be a carbon copy of someone else when God made me an original? We forget that in being strong, 
we miss out on opportunities to find God's strength. Because if I never need him, if I'm always put together, I miss out on the truths that when I'm weak, he's strong. I miss out on the opportunities to renew my strength with his strength, to mount up like wings of eagles, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. All of these things that I get access to God when I admit right where I am, when I admit that I can't do it on my own, when my own strength isn't enough. I never get that when I'm not honest. When I'm not honest enough to say I'm not enough. But I know I am, and he is enough. When I begin to make those statements, when I begin to realize that I can be honest, that I can know that my circumstances may change, but my God will not. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to, I'm going to do my best to encourage all of us, not just you, all of us, to keep it real. Or as the kids say, my daughter said, oh, no. <laughs> For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this new series. is called Keep It 100. Thanks, V. I appreciate that. I had to, I had to dial it back a little bit. See, when, when we do this, when we keep it real, when we keep it 100 with the people around us, we find ourselves in great company. Like Mel was saying, we find ourselves standing next to some of the heroes that we see in Scripture because they were all flawed and they were all still used by God. They were led by God. They were loved by God. And we can't miss out on those simple facts that if it's true for them, it can be true for me. And so to help us to do better at this, to learn how to keep it 100, we're going to take our cues from David and we're going to look at some of the psalms that he wrote in the hundreds chapters. So turn with me today to Psalms chapter 100 as we talk about keeping it 100. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the moments that we get to spend together and in your word. Lord, I pray that you would do something in our hearts and in our lives today. Because of your presence being here, because of your word being spoken, God, I pray that it changes us. God, I pray that you would anoint me as I communicate your word. Help me to do it clearly and confidently and effectively. Help me to share your word with your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we talk about keeping it 100, keeping it real, it, most of us are like, yeah, I can do that about 87% of the time. But here's what I want you to know, that the more that you are honest with yourself and with the people around you, it helps them to believe that they too can believe what you believe. That if it's not about being perfect, if it's not about having it all together, if they can watch you go through the circumstances of your life, they can then discover that I can do this just like them. That if there's hope for them, there's hope for me because sometimes when it's all about being perfect, none of us ever will make that mark and we might as well give up ahead of time. I'm not even going to start if that's where it is and and I love that we can look at the Psalms because if there was ever a book written to show us the reality of a living life and following God, it is Psalms. We see the highs and lows of emotions and circumstances. I love the prayers that David prays because he does not hide what's going on in his life. 
In the moments where he's fearing for his life, he tells God, I'm afraid for my life. People are trying to harm me and kill me. And then I love because he prays like some of us would pray. Maybe not all of us, but he's like, God, you got to get them. You got to get their enemies, not just mine, your, get them. Man, thanks. Thanks for praying that. Now I, I find myself in good company when I pray and I'm like, God, I don't know what to, if you could get with love, Jesus. Get them with love. But David didn't live a, a perfect life. He, he ran from his father-in-law who tried to kill him. He, he later committed adultery and murder. We find all of these different things. And in the Psalms, we see his story and the emotions and the circumstances that changed all the time. But his God never changed. So today we're going to look and, and, and jump in here because no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves today in life, whether we're in a season of rest where God seems to have calmed the storm, or maybe we're in the middle of the storm, or, or this is a great season, or we're getting ready to face transition, or we're in the middle of it, wherever you find yourself today, there are always things that will still be true. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's start with verse 1. It says this, Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, Psalms 100 is five verses, and we're going to stop almost after every single one because all of this is gold right here. I want to stop right here because we can't even get into the whole first verse without finding our first thing. The first thing that is still true, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, is the first word of this verse. We can still shout. Now, some of you are like, okay, Pastor, I don't, I'm not a shouter. I'm barely a clapper. Sometimes I stand, sometimes I don't. Here's what I mean by this. I want you to catch this. The word shout here, and the reason why this is our first point, that we can still shout no matter what you feel like right now is going on in your life, you can still shout because this word is the same word that we find in Joshua chapter 6. And let me set the stage. In Joshua chapter 6, Joshua is leading the people of Israel into the promised land, the place that they had been longing to get into. This is what God had promised them. And as they go in, they find this massive city named Jericho as their first stopping point. And God tells them to walk around the city for seven days. So the first six days, they walk around it one time each day in silence. And some of you know how hard that is to walk and not talk. And for this people, dude, it was a strain because they complained all the time. This is what they did best. But they had to walk six times for six days. One time, day one, go back. Day two, walk around again, three, four, five. On day seven, God tells them to walk seven times around the city. And after they finish the seventh, the command went out. That after you walk the seventh time, you're going to hear the ram horn blows. And when it does, you are going to shout because the Lord has given you the city. It's the very same word that David uses in Psalm 100. See, now I can shout like they shouted because the same word that was true for them is true for me. They were able to shout because God had already given them the victory. They stood in a place, I can't imagine what they felt like, walking around a city. Oh, we're supposed to conquer this. I'm not sure how this is going to work. You want me to shout. Why am I shouting? Because the Lord has given you the city. 
not as going to give, not up for discussion, not that we're getting ready to fight the battle, but we are shouting because victory has already been won. They had the victory. They didn't have to fight. They just had to step out into faith and make some noise as if they had already fought the battle, as if they had already been through the toughest part. They could shout already because the God that walked them up to the city was giving them the city. And that leads me to believe this, that I don't always have to feel like a victor to be victorious. Because as they're standing on the outside of the city, they didn't fight. They hadn't won anything. It didn't have to feel like they had the victory. All they had to do was shout because it was already there. And I love this, that I don't have to wait for the battle to be over. I don't have to wait for the outcome before I celebrate the victory that I can now step out in faith. I can shout already when I'm tired, when I'm weak, when I'm worn, when I feel like I've been beaten up, when I'm confused about what God is doing, when I'm standing next to a wall that looks 100 feet tall and God said that it's going to come down, guess what I can do before it even moves? I can, because I already have the victory. Thanks. Victory doesn't always feel like victory. It doesn't always look like victory ahead of time, but I can still shout because God has given me the victory. So when our bosses mistreat us, when our family stops being perfect and goes back to being chaotic again, when, we, when we're fighting to get free from sin, when we struggle with sin, when we fall in sin, I can still get back to my feet and shout because God has already won the victory that Jesus is victory on the cross, over death, over sin. All of that means that I too get a part of that victory. And David then says something incredible that we can't miss, that let's not forget that this shout brings joy. I can now shout, I had victory, I'm joyful, and that this shout of victory is for everyone. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and guess what? They too get to share in the victory that Jesus has won. So it's not just for me in this moment that the more I walk in this and I shout victory and I live in victory, people around can call on Jesus just like I did, and they can share in the victory too. Verse 2, let's jump, let's keep going. I'll get, I'll stay right there. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. First thing is we can still shout. The second thing I love comes in the second half of this verse, and that's that we still have access. New Living Translation says, come before him singing with joy. We can come near to God. We can draw close to him. We have access to the king of kings. His sacrifice made it possible for us to be reconciled with God, for us to stand right next to him again, to have a close relationship once again. And when I thought of this verse, this other verse came to mind, and it's from Hebrews 4. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find his grace to help us when we need it the most. See, when we need him, we can get him. Let me try this side. You see, when we need him, we can get him. See, when we need him, we could get him. 
Now, now, now you get it. This is what I love about this verse because it paints this picture that at any time I need God, I can get to him. I can come into his presence singing psalms of joy, singing songs, and I can't sing. I'm not going to try, but I can still come into the throne room. I now have access. I can walk right in, and I can ask him with boldness and confidence. Here's, here's the thought I want you to get in your head. Some of you have experienced this. You've had toddlers that they don't know what a closed door means. That's exactly how we get to walk in on Jesus. Come busting in the room. You own the place because you are the owner's son. You are the owner's daughter. And he doesn't need you to have an appointment to do something incredible for you. He's not going to push you away. He's not going to tell you to come back later. He's not going to say, I'm too busy for you. He's not going to say, I don't have time for you. No, no, no. You still have access. Whether you feel like it or not, the truth still remains. If I'm honest with God, I still have access. And in his presence, I can be open and honest. I can let him know exactly what's going on in my world. I can invite him into the circumstance that I am facing. No matter how great it is, no matter how small it is, no matter how much in despair I may feel, I can share all of that with him. And as we do this, we discover that worship isn't just about singing songs. Worship is about offering all of me. Because he sees it and knows it anyways. And he's just waiting for us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. That this is our true act of worship. That I say, God, you can have all of me, the great parts of me, the not so great parts of me. All of my time, my talent, my treasure, it's all yours. Do with it as you want. And as I do that, something begins to change inside my heart. As I spend more time in his presence, it begins to fill all of who I am, and it begins to put a song in my heart. It begins to change my outlook. It doesn't have to change the circumstance, because if I get his joy in my heart, it doesn't matter what the circumstance looks like on the outside. I know that I still win because he's still God. Verse 3 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What an incredible verse right here in the middle of this Psalms. And David starts out talking about knowing God and acknowledging that he is God. And and the key to this isn't just head knowledge, but it's head and heart recognition that he is God and I'm not. See, sometimes we struggle because we're trying to act like we are God in our own lives. The stress and struggle we feel is because we have yet to acknowledge or know that he is God and I am not. But that should be a freeing thing for us. Those of us that that want everything to be controlled by us, some of the pain that we feel, the angst that we walk in day in, day out, is that not everything will do what we want it to do. But I can know that he is God, and I am not. 
And then when I begin to think about who he is, David begins to open up and talk about him. He is the creator. But if we begin to think about all that God is and who he is, he's the redeemer, the living, the true God, the beginning and the end, the good shepherd, the lamb that was slain. He is our loving father. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And no matter what title you assign to him, no matter how you talk about him, this next fact still remains that he's huge and we are still his. Don't let that part miss you because I don't think it's an accident that David put this portion of this psalm at the heart of it. It says five verses. We're in verse three in the very middle of this psalm. I believe we find the heart of this psalm. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And if you're like me and you didn't grow up anywhere near animals, you're like, that is a confusing thing to say to me. I don't know that I like that. But in the simple fact that we are his, we can rest in the fact that now I'm claimed, that someone wants me, that they've pulled me in. Not only did God create me and call me, but he has adopted me in and brought me close and redeemed us. And now I belong to him. That means that I am always welcome. That means that anytime I go home, I never have to worry whether or not his arms are going to be open to embrace me. But the minute I come walking down the road, he'll run to meet me. I'm his. And as he begins to talk about the, the sheep portion, David was a shepherd. And so when he wrote this, as the people began to read this, I think that it started clicking because they would have had... The 23rd Psalm, as Jesus walked to the earth, he tells everyone in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. And as we look at this today to know that we're his people and his sheep, I want to remind you of the advantages of being the sheep and not the shepherd. And not just being any sheep, but being sheep that are under the care of the good shepherd. And we could just run through this quickly. Man, the, the good shepherd provides for us. He watches over us. He calls us by name. It means when he looks into the room, he doesn't see people. He sees individuals. Then he knows who you are in your story. And he knows exactly where to find you. He knows exactly what to say to you. He knows you by name. He speaks to us. He guides us. He protects us from predators on the outside. And sometimes he even protects us against ourselves. And he walks with us. He leads us to rest in the greenest of pastures, next to still waters. And other times he walks with us through the darkest moments that we'll ever face, through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's still with us. And not only is he still with us, but it says that he'll go before me and prepare a table. Even when there are people around hoping that I fail, waiting for me to fail, he keeps them at bay and allows me to rest at his table to be filled by him once again. And he gives me life to the full, a life that satisfies, that gives me purpose, and that starts now and lasts forever. So if you are stuck this morning, if you feel like life right now has got you spinning in circles, you can't get any traction or the enemy has told you that you're alone or maybe he's been pointing out your mistakes and your flaws and your sins and he's been telling you that God doesn't want you, that he doesn't love you. I want you to remind him. I want you to remind yourself that it doesn't matter where you've been. You are still his. 
Don't let the heart of this psalm miss your heart this morning. No matter where you find yourself today, we are still his. The last bit of this psalm says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. See, we can enter his house. We can enter this place with praise in our hearts as we remember who he is. And David says that we're going to praise his name, but, but in, in the time that David wrote this, it wasn't just saying that we're praising the name of God, but we're praising all that he is and all that he's done and all that he's doing and all that he is about to do. Because the last thing that David reminds us is that he will still be here tomorrow. I can count on him to show up. His unfailing love and his faithfulness continues from generation to generation. Our families, my kids can experience the love and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. My grandkids can experience the love and the faithfulness of God. My great-grandkids can experience the love and the faithfulness of God that on and on it goes because no matter when my tomorrow is, he will still be there tomorrow. God is absolutely dependable to fulfill every promise that he's made. There's not one promise that he's made that he doesn't have the intent on fulfilling. And as we unfold time, we will find him time and time again doing exactly what he says. Lamentations tells us that his grace and his mercies are new every morning. It's one of my favorite verses because when I wake up, there he is offering something new for me. He's there loving me. He's with me. He's for me. He's working to complete all the things that he started inside of me. He's working on getting me to where he wants me to go. And he's working out every part of my story for his glory. This is what he does each and every day. He will be there tomorrow. So let's keep it real. Let's continue to keep it 100 with everybody around us. It's okay to admit when life is not perfect. It's okay if today you don't feel like you're blessed and highly favored. Because there are still some truths that we found today that you can hold on to day in and day out. That when we're honest, when we allow ourselves to keep it real with those around us, to keep it real with God... We experience God in a way that we never will if we just keep pretending everything is fine. If I never ask him for his strength, he's not going to force it upon me. If I never ask him for peace in the middle of my storm, he's not going to force it on me. If I never ask him for strength to make it through tomorrow, he's not going to force it on me. If I keep pretending, I miss out on what God really can do in my heart and my life. We can be restored. We can be renewed day in and day out. We can be reminded that these things are still true. We can trust that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And throughout life, he will be the anchor that we can depend on, that we can lean on, that will steady us. And we can still shout and we still have access and we are still his and he will be here tomorrow. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Let's be honest. How's your relationship with Jesus this morning? 
Maybe you came today and there is none. Today we can address that if you'll be honest. Because God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to pay the price for your mistakes, for your sins. And not just to die for your sins, but to, to raise from the dead so that you and I can live a life that starts now and lasts in eternity. In that life, we can walk in victory. We can walk with strength. We can walk with hope. If we're honest and we invite him in. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Kevin, my relationship is all right. It's not wonderful. I've been trying to do more on my own than I have been inviting God in. And we can fix that too. Because again, we're just going to be honest with God. We're going to open ourselves up and say, God, this is where I need your strength. This is where I need the hope of who you are. This is where I need peace. This is where I need you. And when you invite him in, that's when he shows up. So I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer with me. This prayer is to restore and, and to gain a relationship with Jesus. And if you pray this prayer, if you mean these words, the Bible tells us that Jesus will come in and he'll make everything new. He doesn't just improve who you are. He makes a brand new person with no past, with no sin, with no shame, that when he looks at you, he sees his son, he sees the righteousness of Jesus all around you. You can have hope once again. You can look toward tomorrow with anticipation instead of dread. So would you repeat after me? You say, Jesus, I need you today. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead to give me life. I'll take that life today. And I'll give you everything I have. The good parts, the bad parts, they're all yours. God, make me new this morning. And I promise to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to close out today with just a, a short song of response because I feel like as we've been praying right now and, and as we've been searching and being honest about where we are, that, that God's been speaking some things to you. And I want to give you an opportunity to just respond. And maybe that's to stand in worship. Maybe that's to talk to God about how you want access. You want to be able to walk boldly into the room that he's in and ask him for what you need. Maybe it's that you need to be reminded that you're his, whatever it may be. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is saying in your heart. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.